Today we resume our study of the early church in the book of Acts, and as we do, we're in this process of thinking about or, or considering or evaluating our church today, and, and prayerfully, hopefully, uh, God is able to teach us in this study as his church. He's able to shape us uh, in this study as his church, and hopefully, as we go through this study, we're becoming uh, we're lining up with the church that he intends for us to be in this age. Well, once again, I ask you the question, how do you see the church today? And I think that's a, an important a piece of evaluation. Uh, as we study the church as an individual, how do you see the church today? How do you hold the church today? What value, what priority do you ascribe, do you give to the church today in your life? Is it necessary? Is it vital? Is it an exciting thing? Is it where God is moving and where God is working? Or is it something else in your life? Is it a duty? Is it a checklist item that you have to mark off? Is it a, an add-on, something that you'll get to it if you can get to it and everything lines up? Is it a, a part or a piece of all the many things that you have to do and you have so many pieces and it's just another piece of all of those things? And then the big question is, what is the difference? Let me tell you something this morning. I've got enough duties. I've got enough things to check off a list. In fact, most of them are not getting checked off. And I've already got too many pieces that I'm trying to fit together. And I'll just tell you, as we study the, the church in the book of Acts, I want to belong, I want to be a part of a church like this. I want to be part of a church where I am needed and where you are needed and where God is moving and we are excited in the movement of God. Our message this morning is entitled, Might as well jump a theology of leaping. Might as well jump, the strangest sermon title you've ever heard, a theology of leaping. Today we're in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 14 beginning in verse 8. Might as well jump a theology of leaping. All right, verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright to your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you 
that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. And yet he did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18, even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for you. We praise you. We're thankful for a Savior. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin. We're thankful that you take our guilt and our shame, and you bear it, and you remove it. You carry it far from us. Lord, I'm thankful that today, as we, as we stand in weird days and hard days, that we have peace. We have an anchor that is not moved. We have a foundation that is not shaken, that we, as followers of Christ, have hope today. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word today, I pray that you would speak. And I pray that it would be truly a supernatural event, not just the passing on of information, but you speaking to your church, to your people today. Lord, I pray that if there's one in this room in the hearing of this message that does not know you, that today in the hearing of the good news of a risen, resurrected Savior and the good news of Jesus, that today they might be saved. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise you, we submit this hour to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you can believe it or not, we are right about the halfway point in the book of Acts. And today we find Paul and Barnabas moving along, preaching the gospel of Jesus. There is eternal life. There is the forgiveness of sin through faith in our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where we're at as we move through the halfway point of the 14th chapter. They're traveling around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We find in the written record, when they have covered an area, as in the island of Cyprus, or when they are pushed out of an area, as in Pisidian Antioch or Iconium, they move to the next place and they continue preaching the gospel. So in some places it runs its course, they travel the area and they preach the gospel. In other areas, in fact in most areas, they are pushed out of the city, but in all cases they travel to the new location and preach the gospel of Christ. Now right off the bat, I want us to be sure of something this morning, and that is this. Marvelous things happen when we are about the Lord's work. Marvelous things happen when we are about the Lord's work. Sometimes we think, oh, I'd like to see that, or I'd like to be used like that. You ever think, you know what, I, I see that, and I'd like to be used like that, or, or I'd like to be part of a movement like that. I'd like to be part of something like that. And we have to remind ourselves, I have to remind myself that marvelous things, mighty things, miraculous things happen when we are about the Lord's business. Sometimes folks will wonder, they'll even say it, how come we do not see the things that they saw? How come sometimes we do not see the exciting events like they did in their day? 
And I want to remind us this morning of the truth. Great things happen. Marvelous things, miraculous things happen when we are about the Lord's work. As in all things, results follows work. All right, let's go to our verses this morning, starting in verse 8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Verse starts off, it says, at Lystra, remember that is the city where Timothy was from, also his mother and his grandmother. And this may have been the event, this may have been the trip, very well may have been, when Timothy got saved. And so again, I want to remind us, Great things happen when we are about the Lord's business. Now, Lystra was a city just a short 20 miles from Iconium. Remember the city that he was just chased out of, just forced out of. He travels 20 miles to Lystra. The Bible says here, a man was sitting and the man was crippled. His legs did not work. Now, I want you to be sure and see what the verse is saying here. He had never walked. Be sure and understand that. He had never walked. Not once had he ever walked. He was born this way. It wasn't the result of an accident. It wasn't the result of a disease. It wasn't the result of, of, of age. But rather, he had never walked. He was born crippled in his legs. Be sure and see, be sure and understand any place this man had gone, any place this man had been, whether from a small child until this day, somebody had helped him. Somebody had carried him along. And so wherever you find this man, someone had brought him to that place. So understand this morning, this was a helpless man. This was a helpless man. Now, not only that, nobody, not, not even himself, ever expected that it would change. When he was a young man, this was his lot in life. When he was a young child, this was his lot in life. And so nobody, not even himself, ever expected this to change. It was all that he had ever known. And so not only was he helpless, he was also a hopeless man. This is what yesterday was. This is what last year was. And I believe next year will be the same. And so he's not only a helpless man, he's also a hopeless man. At last, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Verse 9. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well. Now, I want, to, I want to point out here from the context, both before the verse, in fact, uh, considerably before the verse, but also after this verse, following in verse 15, I want, I want to point this out. This man was listening, and what he was listening to was Paul proclaiming the gospel, Paul speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to make this very clear today. This was not a healing service. This was not a healing sermon. This was not how to have your best life now. No, he is preaching the only message 
of help for the helpless. He is preaching the only message of hope for the hopeless, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to bring it back to our attention over and over and over and over again. That is what is consistent. What is proclaimed in the church is the truth of Jesus, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I look around today and there's churches preaching all sorts of things. There's churches preaching all sorts of messages. And you can go and the focus of that service, maybe the focus of that church will be this particular thing. But I want us to see what is consistent in the book of Acts. What they were proclaiming was a resurrected Savior and forgiveness of sin by faith in him, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, as Paul is proclaiming the good news of Jesus, he sees this crippled man. In fact, it says that he fixes, that he sets his gaze upon him. Verse 10. I'm going to read 9 again. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and seen, and had seen that he had faith to be made well, verse 10, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. He is preaching the gospel. And then as, as the pattern of the book of Acts, there would be a miracle to confirm the gospel. They're preaching a resurrected Savior. Well, to confirm the message, there would be a coinciding miracle to confirm the gospel. Well, he says here, as he has fixed his eyes upon this guy, he says, stand upright on your feet. Now, we read that, and maybe we think, well, that's, that's logical. That's what he would say, of course. But I want us to see that is actually absurd. That is actually crazy. It would be the same if I said to any of y'all, fly. Fly, and, and I think I, I would like to fly. Maybe some of you would like to fly. I would like to fly. I would like to zoom out of here and fly. I would like to fly, but here's the deal. I have never flown. Here's the deal. I cannot fly. In fact, since birth, I've never possessed the potential to ever fly. There's never been a day when I flew or anybody in my family flew, and so I do not have the possibility of flying. It would be the exact same thing if somebody said, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, now fly. And here's what the Bible says. And he leaped up and began to walk. Someday, friends, someday when I get time, I don't know when that's going to be, I'm going to write a book on the theology of leaping. Now, there's books on the theology of the Trinity. There's books on the theology of salvation. There's, there's, there's books on theology of, of all sorts of things. But if I ever get time, I'm going to write a book on the theology of leaping. You see, listen to me very carefully. There is something about knowing God. There is something about knowing about his salvation. And there is something about knowing his Savior that Scripture shows us results in leaping. Now, let me show you this. The Greek word here is the word for sprang up. If you go and look it up, it literally is to take a spring 
and compress that spring and then take the compression off the spring. And so you have this big coiled up spring and you mash the spring, you compress the spring and the word here, the Greek word, is you have this giant spring that's compressed and you move the compression and it is an explosive, aggressive extension of the spring. It is to literally spring up. Remember in the Old Testament when David brings the ark to Jerusalem, the city of God, the city of David. Now remember all the things that have played into that and there's gonna be a city in there we're gonna build one day, hopefully a temple in there, God's gonna reside with us, but now we have the ark and it's gonna represent God's being with us and David brings the ark into the city of God, the city of David. And remember the account, as he does so, he is so glad. He is so full of joy. Oh, what an awesome day this is. He is so excited for the glory of the Lord. 2 Samuel 6, 11 says, and he came into the city, and what does the Bible say? Say it says, leaping and dancing. Can you imagine that? It's the same word, like a spring that the compression is let off. He comes into the city and he is so filled with joy over the glory of the Lord. He is leaping and dancing. Baptist, that's okay. It's in the Bible. Like a spring that's been with the compression release, he comes into the city bouncing around. Isaiah chapter 35, verse six, talking about the salvation of God. The Bible says, and in that salvation, they will see, listen to this, in that salvation, they will see the glory of God. There's a sermon right there. I almost peeled off and wrote another sermon. In the salvation from God, we will see the glory of God. Listen, friend, do you see the glory of God in our salvation? We didn't earn it, only he could do it. He is gracious and given it to us. And in the salvation of God, we see the glory of God. It says this, and the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And it says the lame, guess what? Will leap about as Dear, man, listen to that. Seeing the salvation from God, seeing the fruit of that salvation, believers will leap about as a deer. If I wasn't so heavy, I'd show you what that looks like. Malachi chapter four, deer aren't very heavy. Malachi chapter four, verse two. One of my favorite verses and it is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. There is coming a savior from God. There is coming the Messiah sent from God. In him we have hope, in him we have a future. We're living in a dark day, but you know what? God is faithful and you can look to the promised Messiah. And so in this prophecy, it is talking about the coming of Jesus. Here's what it says. And the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. I want you to picture that and the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And it says this, and you will go forth and skip about and leap about like calves from their stalls, walking and leaping, friend, and praising the Lord like a spring that's been uncompressed. When you understand what your salvation is, you will leap about like a calf kicked out of its stall. 
in the New Testament, it's only fitting, John the Baptist, the one that's gonna tell of the Savior, the one that's gonna make way straight his way, John the Baptist is still in his mother's womb. The Bible says that Mary came to see Elizabeth, John's mother. And what does it say when the baby heard Mary, when Mary came and drew near, it says the baby what? Left. Same word, like a spring that's uncompressed. The baby John the Baptist leapt. The Savior is drawn near. And he leapt in his mother's womb. Acts chapter three. There's a beggar by the temple gate. Oh, what an awesome name for that gate. It's the name beautiful. There at the gate, beautiful. He, he's sitting there and Peter comes up and he starts to talk to Peter and Peter says, Silver and gold, we have none. The man says, can you help us out? I've been sitting here. Silver and gold, we have none. But what we do have, we give to you. And it says there in Acts chapter three, like a spring that's been uncompressed, he leapt to his feet. Luke chapter six. Jesus says, and it's very fitting for Paul and Barnabas, he says this. Luke chapter six, verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the son of man. Be glad, and here's what Jesus says, be glad and in that day leap like a spring, it's the same word that has been uncompressed, leap. For joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Oh, listen to me today, dear friend. God forgive us when knowing him. God forgive us when knowing about our salvation and how great it is. God forgive us when knowing about our Savior. Does it cause us to respond like a spring that's been uncompressed and leap around in joy? We have a Savior. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Verse 11, this might be a good sermon. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Now I want you to see this in verse 11. Verse 11, actually, they come to a pretty good conclusion. Now, they are missing the truth, and so they do not understand the truth, but it's almost right. They come to a pretty good conclusion. Seeing what has happened, they're sure it's not normal. They're sure it's not regular. In fact, they're sure it is not of man, and it must be supernatural. And so seeing what has happened here, seeing what has happened at the hands of Paul, they say it's like the gods have become like men, and have come down to us. Now they're seeing through the lens of their false gods, but understand, I think their conclusion is, is pretty good. It's, it's on the right track. What they are seeing here is this is not of man. This is supernatural. This must be of God. And so when they see it, they say, it is as if God himself has come down and is in our midst. A good conclusion, they're missing the truth. All right, verse 12. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief 
speaker. Now, those are the names of some Greek gods. Verse 13. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the gate, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now, we're about to see a, a, a kind of a strange account here. Verse 13, if Zeus has come, then the priest of Zeus decides, I better get there. If, if Zeus has come, the priest of Zeus, the temple was outside of Tan, he decides, I had better be there. And so he brings garlands, uh, these, these elaborate uh, wreaths of flowers to hang on them, and, and then he brings some oxen to sacrifice. I want you to think about something right here. Do you know who more than all people knows that Zeus is fake? Think about that for a second. Do you know more than all people who knows that the, the, the fake God Zeus is not real? It's the priest of Zeus. He, he more than all people, he knows that he can go in his temple and he can talk, but nobody listens. He knows that he can go and he can bring all the wreaths and he can take all the oxen and he can do all the sacrificing, but nobody ever speaks. He can know if something miraculous ever happens if something ever happens, he knows it's trumped up. You know why? Because he's the one that trumped it up. He's got this gig. He's the priest of Zeus. And if anybody knows he's fake, he knows he's fake. But he hears the Zeus is in town. And so he gets his stuff together and he goes into town. I want you to notice this this morning. The false prophets are quick to show up where God is working. Let me tell you something, today it's still the same. The false prophets are quick to show up where God is working. Now I was picturing that, I was just thinking about it, I'm kind of goofy and I was just sitting there thinking about that. The priest of Zeus is outside of town in the, the grand temple to Zeus. He's in there and he got the big 12 foot doors shut and he's in the, he's in the temple and he's probably eating a lunch of part of the offering that somebody brought. And he's probably sitting there and he's got his pockets full of all the tithes that somebody has brought. And he's sitting there eating all the food, wearing all the clothes, got all the stuff, his, his pockets are full of money. And somebody runs in from the town and says, you know what, Zeus is in town. Zeus is in town. And I, I imagine he goes, what? I mean, okay. He makes his way into town. All right, verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, listen to this. They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out. Now, they tear their robes. Uh, that, was, that was an aggressive statement. It was highly visible, and it signified disgust. And so, so it, 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 in a very visible fashion, they show their disgust. And it says here, they rushed out. Now, I want you to notice that. They didn't delay. They didn't have to talk it over. They didn't have to say, well, we might get a better reception if they think we are these false gods. Well, what does this mean for us in our future? Maybe they'll quit hitting us across the back. No, without delay, it says they rushed out and they made a visible sign of their disgust. Here's a good question. 
How do you know a false prophet? Well, here's one of the ways. And we better be sure of this. We better know this, especially today. How do you know a false prophet? It is when they are willing to take the glory due God and keep it for themselves. You want to know how you run into a false prophet? It's because they are the hero, not God. You want to know how you're dealing with the false prophets? Because they are the focus and everything's about them and the, the, the center of everything is themselves and it's not Christ. You want to know how you found a false prophet? It's because they benefit and not the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I want you to see here very quickly, they are loud and they are quick to say, glory be to Jesus Christ and not to us. Verse 15. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, verse 15, and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, I want you to be sure of the context. In the day that they were in, in that day, the highest thing, the greatest thing was to be considered a God or, or to at least be considered divine, a part of God. Remember Caesar? He's God. Caesar's God. He wanted to be worshiped as God, a great warrior, a great general. He will be counted as a God. Well, Barnabas and Paul say, no, we're people like you. We're people with a nature like you. We're sinners like you. And so we preach the gospel. Now watch this. We preach Christ so that you will turn from the vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the sea, the earth, and all that is in them. I want you to notice this. Get this. The goal of preaching the gospel is that people would turn from what is vain and turn to God. We've been talking about the message of the cross. We've been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that's what's consistently was preached. Well, the goal of preaching that gospel is that people would turn from what is vain and they would turn to God. Vain is an interesting word. It means empty. It has, it has really a better picture than, than that. It means what appears to be there is not really there. What's supposed or what is advertised to be there is not really there. It looks like something, but it's hollow. And so maybe you have this thing and it looks like it's ornate and it looks like a big deal, but when you get up closer to it, the inside, it's absolutely hollow. Well, the goal of the gospel is that we would turn from what is empty. The Bible says all these things and we would turn to God. Now, let me, let me just tell you, what is empty today? What is empty? Let me just be clear. The pursuit of Allah, the God of Islam, it is empty. It is hollow. The pursuit of Buddha, the pursuit of Vishnu or Krishna, the many gods of Hinduism, the false god of Mormonism, pursuit of him, the false god of the Jehovah's Witnesses. What else? Listen, the god of self the false god of self-promotion, the false god of stuff, the false god of materialism. Any god, here's what the scripture's telling us, 
Any God but the one true God, any God but the God that's responsible for creation, any God but the God that graces us with salvation through his only begotten son, any God but the God that has promised and provided for us a future, any God God but the one that has blessed us with his word to reveal himself, any God but that God is an empty God, is a hollow God. And so I want you to see this. By the gospel, by the truth of Jesus, we turn from what is empty, we turn from what is hollow, we turn from what has no value, and we turn to God. The means for that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is why we proclaim the gospel that folks would turn from what has no value, what has no meaning, and they would turn to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Good night, 2021. Do you see all the people today that have placed all their stock in something? They've placed all their stock in somebody. They put all their hope. And you know what? If I could just get this amount of money, if I could just get this retirement, if I could just get around this hill, if I could just turn this bend, if we could just get the house paid for, if we could just get the kids on solid ground, if our relationship would ever shape up, if we would do this or this or this or this, and they put their hope in all of these things, and over and over again, it proves empty, and people are running, and they're straining, and they're trying, and they're seeking, and they're looking for hope, and when they get there, it's empty, and it's empty, and it's empty. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Verses 16 and 17. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Verses 16 and 17, he does an interesting thing here where when he was speaking to a Jewish audience, he could refer back to the promises made to Israel. He could refer back to the scriptures and they would understand what he's saying. They don't have that background. They can't understand that. And so he has to go all the way back to creation. So he says, you've gone your own ways. You've got all these false gods, but God has left you with a witness when you see the sun come up, when you see the rain fall down, when you see the abundance of crops, you know there must be a true God. Verse 18. Even saying these things, with difficulty they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Sadly, here's what happens in verse 18. Even with the truth, they still want to worship the false. And it says, with difficulty they held them back. Don't worship us, but they want to well up and do it anyway. Even with the truth, they want to worship what is false. You know, that's still the same today as well. People still want something else. People are still looking for something else. I don't know, that seems silly. That doesn't seem plausible. That doesn't seem like it fits me. That's gonna cost me too much. And even hearing the truth today, people are missing or denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Friends, isn't it interesting how everything comes back to the same place? Here's the deal. Here's the, the fruit of our verses today. There is hope only in Jesus. Ha, he goes to these folks and he, he, he preaches this message and he comes to this same point. There is hope only found in Jesus. If you're here today, listen, if you're listening to this somehow and you think you're going to find hope somewhere else, you're going to find peace somewhere else, you're going to find some measure of something that brings contentment in your life outside of Christ. Listen, the truth is this. You never will. But I want to tell you, that in the grace of a loving God, he loves you. and He sees your state. He sees where you're straining. He sees where you're striving. He sees where you can find no contentment. He sees where you're wearing yourself up, trying to carry your own sin and your own guilt. He sees where you're always trying to go around a corner, and maybe it's going to be better over there. And you know what? He sends hope in the person of Jesus Christ. He comes and he lives a life he never sins. Jesus does. Because he does that, he's able to take my sin and your sin, my shame, my guilt. And he goes to the cross of Calvary. And the good news, it hasn't changed from his sermon to this sermon. He takes my guilt, my shame, and he takes it to the cross. And there he takes God's wrath poured out on sin upon himself, my sin. He pays the price for my redemption in his own blood. They put him on that cross and he dies paying the penalty as the perfect sinless lamb of God. They pull him off of that cross and they put him in a grave. He is dead. The price has been paid. He has died carrying my sin, paying for it in his own blood. Three days later, he comes out of the grave. Easter Sunday morning. He stands as the risen savior. The receipt is issued. The victor stands. Death is defeated. God's grace is offered to us. The Bible says by believing in that, not of any work that we would do, listen, you're not good enough, none of us are. By believing in that, the Bible says, professing with your mouth what you believe in your heart, trusting in the gospel, you will be saved. Any person that heard this message, when they believed, they were saved. If you're listening today and you trust Jesus for your salvation, you are saved. And I want to tell you, and the response to that is like a spring uncoiled, leaping and jumping, praising the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful for hope that endures. I'm thankful that you haven't written us off today as sinners. I'm thankful that as we stand here in a world that's, that's cratering, that's spinning out of control, that's falling apart in fast order, that our anchor holds. And it's settled in the finished work, a risen Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray for somebody here that doesn't know you. I pray for somebody here that's tired of their shame and their guilt. Somebody here is tired of running on a treadmill and getting nowhere. Somebody here that has figured out their sin and has sought out the remedy for sin, Jesus. Lord, I pray that today in the preaching of this good news that they would trust you. As simple as that, that they would turn their hands loose and they would trust you for their salvation. Lord, I know that you tell us that in that we are saved. As profound as that, as simple as that, I pray, Lord, that there's some here that, that here they are. And I pray it's in this hour, this moment, this very minute, dear Lord, that they turn to you, letting go of what is hollow and finding peace with God through Jesus. Lord, we come and I pray as a church that we would be not so downtrodden, not so depressed, not so pushed around by a sorry world, 
that we would be like a calf let out of a stall. We would leap like a spring uncompressed. We would reflect the joy of our salvation and that in that as well, the world would see and you'd be glorified. Lord, I ask as we come to our time of invitation that you would move, that you would speak, that you would lead, that you would direct, that you would be honored. I give it to you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.